Thanks everybody uh, for coming. Uh, my name is uh, Imian, Imian Wolf. I am uh, married to my lovely wife, uh, Kimberly, and we have four children, as you can see in the, the picture. Um, we, uh, we've been farming here in Canada for, uh, for about, uh, well, I would say it's, it's appropriately a 10-year project so far, from initial uh, dreaming and ideation to today, it's probably about 10 years that's nine seasons of farming. I think I said eight in the uh, the little blurb about the talk, but uh, nine seasons of farming, and we are a uh, we are a commercial farm. Uh, so we we grow currently. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you a bit of the history, I guess, about it through the talk. But um, right now, we currently grow uh, cut salad greens and garlic, and um, we're of a size. Uh, today that can actually earn uh, a, an income for us as a family. Um, but I would, uh, I would put a couple of caveats on that, uh, on that point. Uh, but before we start uh, any further, I would just uh, say, why don't you join me in prayer and uh, then we can continue. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you for life today. We'd like to ask for your blessing on, uh, on our minds as we think about how to uh, take agriculture and put it into our lives and into our families and, uh, and uh, how to use it in ministry and how to ensure that ministry uh, does happen for that's what we're here for. It's all about people in the end. Uh, it's not about uh, the things that, uh, that we end up doing um, ourselves, but it's what you do through us uh, and through touching the lives of people. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless our minds to understand how to put things in perspective. Thank you. Amen. All right. Can you folks still hear me? Hear me all right? Yes. Yes. Great. Um, so I uh, come from a background uh, working in the food industry, and um, how this all started was uh, in 2012. Uh, my wife and I we had had uh, we had a two year old little girl, Arisia. Uh, she's here in the flowered shirt, and um, we were noticing in particular uh, a couple of challenges. So let me um, see. There we go. Uh, we were noticing that we had uh, too little family time. So I would leave uh, being in a fast growing business. I would leave the house uh, shortly after the kids, uh, after Arisia woke up and uh, just have a little bit of time to have devotions and, um, and maybe uh, help out with breakfast. And then I'd have to run and uh, I would get home just before she went to bed. So we'd have supper together some nights and we would find that, um, you know, you go through the, the evening worship and uh, putting uh, your child to bed routine and you, you go through a few routines yourself and, and then um, you're, you're off to bed and the whole cycle restarts. And um, what I didn't like about that was, or what we didn't like about that was uh, there's just not enough unstructured time for sort of those natural uh, parental and, and child, parent-child interactions to happen. It was all very structured. So the only things that I was getting to interact with my little one about was not those questions like, hey, daddy, uh, how does cauliflower grow? Or, you know, what is that blue thing over there? They were always, um, you know, within the context of devotions and, hey, eat your breakfast and, and brush your teeth and, um it's time to go to bed kind of things. And, and I, I wanted more free interaction. We wanted more free interaction uh, with our family. Um, 
We also had uh, found that in our previous life, we had too little community connection. We're living in an area uh, down close to Vancouver, British Columbia, sort of a large uh, general area. I think in the in the the greater Vancouver area, there's probably about three to five million people, and um, the culture is just a little bit different there than than uh, we like. Kimberly grew up in in rural Arizona, and I grew up here in rural British Columbia, and um, we found that while we were there. If you're going to go and visit somebody or somebody's going to come and visit you, it's always prearranged. So it's like there's no there's no drop in. There, there isn't that sort of comfort level that your neighbors or or, or friends um, just feel comfortable enough to drop in. So if somebody was going to come by, they'd you know call ahead two days and say, hey, what are you doing on Tuesday night? And 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 we'd, we'd set something up and, and, and it kind of felt a little bit less natural to us. So we, we were noticing that. We were also noticing that all of our energy, so this is our sort of emotional, psychological energy, was really going to uh, making a living. So we went to, you know, we participated in church, uh, but in the bigger churches, they don't particularly need uh, your participation. And uh, we were finding that we were just spending all of our energy making a living, and we weren't contributing significantly to the kingdom of heaven. So uh, during the summer of 2012, um, we had been working on setting up uh, a bit of a greenhouse and a garden, trying to uh, get a bit more natural. We were living, by the way, in a, uh, in a rural area of the, the uh, greater Vancouver regional area. We, had a, uh, we were on a property there that was 18 acres. And, and so um, we were renting a little uh, place in the back uh, of this property. And we decided to set up some gardens and... Uh, we set up a little greenhouse. We've been reading Elliot Coleman's book on uh, winter, uh, winter gardening and a few other books. And we thought, man, this is, this is really neat. How can we have vegetables grow through the winter? And how can we do some more of this, uh, this kind of thing ourselves? And I was working here in this greenhouse that you see in the picture one day. I think I was clearing out some beds uh, of, uh, of, of residue and needing to, uh, needing to uh, replant them or re renovate them. And I had spent probably... Uh, four hours in there. And over the course of those four hours, I, uh, I, I got to the end of that four hours and I, I had been thinking some thoughts about my devotions and I'd been thinking some thoughts uh, about some friends that I hadn't connected with in a while and, and, and made some commitments to call up on them and check on them. And I'd been thinking about my wife and my relationship with her and, and how uh, what I could be doing differently to to improve on that, and I thought about my little girl, and and so I had all these thoughts that um, were not work related, and I got to the end of those four hours uh, that specific day, and I thought, huh, as a white collar worker, I'm hired for my mind, and when they when my employer has my mind, they also have my body because I can't separate the two, but as a previous blue collar worker, um, when I was a blue collar worker and when I do blue collar work, they, they're hiring me for a little bit of my mind to make sure I do my job well, but uh, they really are looking for my body to get the work done. And so my mind is free. And I just thought that was, that was interesting to, to realize that, that my mind in my normal uh, work at the time was not free to roam and to dwell on on various subjects, and so that that chain of thoughts started an interesting uh, triggered another interesting chain of thoughts, which was 
the, the fact that I personally, as a person, I enjoy physically working. I enjoy mentally uh, working with my mind as well. I love it when the two join together. Um, but it, it also triggered another thought. So as, as a society, uh, and I would say even globally, but more in you know, advanced developed countries, what has happened during the Industrial Revolution um, is, is as people moved from rural living and uh, trying to have their, their, small, uh, their smallholder places or, or living and working on farms, is we didn't just lose farmers, uh, and, and the number of farmers have dwindled uh, as farms have grown bigger and bigger. We didn't just lose farmers. What we lost was fathers. Because fathers have tended to bear the, uh, uh, naturally, I suppose, have tended to bear the responsibility of generating income for the family. And as, uh, as jobs and as work moved into an industrial setting, um, fathers left the home. And when they left the home, uh, they, they, they missed out on this free interaction with their kids. That happened at lunchtime or might have happened at, at you know, when the kids were walking by and, and dad was there in the field and he said, hey, come look at this or, or, or uh, other sort of non-structured uh, type settings that just flowed throughout their days. So the Industrial Revolution didn't cause us just to lose farmers. It caused us to lose fathers. And we were thinking about this. And, and you know, at the time, has, has, anybody, has anybody in here uh, watched a little series called uh, Pioneer House? It was an old-fashioned reality TV series. And I, I can't see your hands well because it's a bit dark in there. So, so just let me know if you have verbally. Have you, has anybody watched a show called Pioneer House? No. Yes. Okay, okay. I, I heard one or two there. It's, uh, I, I don't remember when it's from. We watched it back in 2012 uh, just because uh, we thought it was interesting. And, and it was from the late 90s, I think, maybe early 2000s. Um, and it's a, a show where, where they had taken, it was a reality, an early version of a reality TV uh, series. It wasn't even TV, but anyways, they, they took folks from uh, urban settings and they gave them the opportunity to live in an 1800s Montana summer and see what it took to get their, uh, themselves into the condition where they could make it through one Montana winter. And they were given period implements and they were given period clothing, and they were given period um, opportunities. So they moved them out. And anyways, it was, it was just so fascinating to watch these people uh, try to gather hay for their cow by hand and, and, and try to build a home by hand. And, and what the families reported on most of all, the most significant thing that they commented on, in our opinion, was how... Yes, they worked incredibly hard, but it felt good. And what they gained was time together. More than anything else, their families bonded together. And Kimberly and I watched that and we said, you know, we, we want that. We're, we're okay with hard work. I mean, Kimberly comes from, from she's, a, she's, a, she's a smith. Her, her mother is, is uh, Janice's attic and uh, her, her dad is Byron. And they had, uh, they had a farm in Arizona and they worked extremely hard. They well, let's see, where is the, uh, here we go. They, um, they had Sunny Arizona family farms down in Arizona, and uh, they went through a number of uh, rebirths of their farm there. And the, one of the uh, iterations was a, 
uh, a farm box program uh, that they pushed to the point uh, in the Phoenix and Tucson area because they, they were able to get that many customers. I think they had uh, just over 2,000, 2,500 subscribers uh, to their, on, the, on their mailing list and ongoing basis. They had something like 1,500 boxes a week that they were putting out of mixed vegetables. So, so Kimberly is not uh, unfamiliar at all with the hard work it takes to make a farm grow. Uh, and, and I'm not allergic to hard work. As a matter of fact, I would be completely honest with you folks and probably say, that this is one of our greatest weak points is that uh, both of us have the tendency to just uh, jump in and put our heads down and, and work, 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 and uh, not pause often enough to reflect on the direction we're going. So after this, uh, the, these reflections, we thought, yep, hard work, we don't have a problem with it. What we want is family connection. So farming just might be the solution. Aha. So uh, when you farm, uh, not only do we regain dads uh, to that first point, when we farm, we uh, naturally connect with the community through the business, which was going to uh, help uh, challenge number two. And you'll notice that, uh, that these, are, these are in line with the three first challenges I was noticing. I didn't have enough time with my kids. I was too busy during the day. Uh, farming might solve that. I didn't have enough community connection. People are always making prearranged appointments. Well, when you farm, people just drop in and, and uh, they come by and see the product and, and want to walk around. And, and there's lots of natural connections because people really feel they can resonate with their farmer. And um, then uh, not enough. Um, we didn't feel like our, we had sufficient purpose. So we thought when we were physically working, we're, our minds are going to be free to connect uh, with God and focus on how to get ministry to be a part of our life. And therefore, we're going to find the solution to, uh, not the solution, we're going to find the ministry that we're going to be able to contribute to. So here we go, farming. Kimberly's background uh, is there. She's ready to do it. I didn't have a background in it, but I'm, uh, I'm uh, not, I'm, I'm far from risk averse. Um, I don't have a gambling habit other than uh, what I do every year on my farm. But that means uh, I guess I'm a risk taker. So uh, what we did is we uh, drove up to where I used to uh, live is in the Lillooet area. So some of you might be familiar with Fountain View Academy. Uh, and so I live, I grew up in this area and um, this is, uh, this is a, a dry, arid area. And we started looking around for properties that uh, we might be able to talk somebody into uh, letting us use their field. So we viewed this as a rental lease situation and uh, we found this one right here. Uh, it's an old abandoned horse pasture, hasn't been hayed or used in, um, it's certainly 60 years probably. Uh, and the only thing that had happened on this over the years since my childhood, uh, which was a long time ago, um, was, was horse pasture. Uh, and even for the previous five years to the year we had seen it, the, the horses hadn't even been in there. So the, the ground had not been irrigated uh, things, weeds were just going to town. Uh, and the owner of this property is my previous, um, my previous art teacher from when I was a kid. So we contacted him and said, Hey, uh, what are you doing with it? Do you looking for somebody? He said, yeah, we, we, I'd really like somebody to get on there because his water license requires the water to be used. So if nobody uses the water there for another year, uh, he could lose his water license. So he just loved it. Somebody just got on the property pretty well for free and just used water. So we made up this agreement where, hey, if I use water, then we get to use the land. We thought that was a natural, because how would we possibly 
use the land without the water. So we got on there and started uh, preparing things. And here, this is our very first winter in 2012, uh, pre-winter. We're just mowing down some of the grass. We thought, well, one of the first things we'll do is we'll plant some garlic. And um, this is the uh, this is the view to the south. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you can follow my mouse, but uh, there's a little green field down here. This field is just on the other side of Fountain View Academy. Fountain View is just behind this uh, this ridge here, but it's a it's a beautiful area, a nice wandering river um, through it, and uh, lots of warm sunshine. So it's it's lovely. We can grow just about anything here. No, we can't grow oranges, but uh, we we do grow other uh, other warm fruits. Uh, such as peaches and cherries and, and so on. So here was that first winter. We had some help uh, with uh, family members coming up to help us get a few rows of garlic planted. And uh, that very first winter, we moved on a little travel trailer onto the property. We built a, built an outhouse and, and we started going up there every weekend. And that winter we stayed in this little travel trailer uh, on the weekends. So it got down to minus 20 and when it was minus 20 Celsius. So that's, uh, what is that? Minus 15 Fahrenheit kind of, uh, when it got down that cold, we decided to stay, uh, in our home. But, uh, when it was, uh, only around zero Fahrenheit, uh, we would come up here and, and, and keep working on the weekend. So we started to build a hoop house. Uh, we bent our own hoops from some Johnny's uh, Bender DIY Bender stuff, and and we were getting ready for the next season. We also uh, decided to uh, build a mobile home pad, and uh, we managed to get a mobile home for pretty cheap. And so we built the mobile home pad and made this agreement. You can see this first year of garlic, by the way, right here in the background. Uh, and you can also see our first hoop house here. And there's our little trailer way down at the bottom. I'm not sure if you can see that. And uh, we decided to build a pad, move on a mobile home, um, and made the arrangement with the landlord that allowed us to, he would own the, the pad, but the cost of pad development would come off of the rent. So basically, uh, we're getting to move on for free for a, an extended period of time until the value of, uh, was, was consumed in the rental costs. So we took this picture. We were really inspired by this. We took this picture as God's promise to us, right? What, is, what does the rainbow mean? What did God say when he uh, told us, what did he tell us to remember when we looked at the rainbow? He was reminding us that he would not destroy the earth again by a flood. And it's probably a little bit of creative interpretation, but I took this picture as God's promise to me that he would not destroy my farm by flood or other means. So this promises to me or to us in our opinion. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're getting set up on a uh, abandoned, neglected property, there's no electricity, there's no real water infrastructure. So it involves setting up, uh, you know, a gravity diversion uh, from the from the creek to get water into the uh, the irrigation system. It also involves setting up domestic uh, systems for the house uh, and uh, the electrical and the septic and everything else. So there's there's a fair bit of work in there. When you're dealing with gravity water, you know the first winter we were on there with the gravity water. We moved in in uh, 2013, just before winter. By the time everything was was done, and um, we found out that when it gets cold enough, you get this phenomenon called frazzle ice in uh, in in 
creeks in the winter. Does anybody, is anybody here familiar with frazzolice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For those, those who aren't, frazzolice is this fascinating thing where you get super cooled water. Water will go through, it's usually after uh, a period of a, a place of great turbulence, like a waterfall, where water will fall through the air uh, or there'll be uh, air, enough air exposure that the water will go down to below the freezing point. So the water itself is still in liquid form, but it is below uh, the freezing point. And uh, what can happen or what starts happening is spontaneous ice crystal formation within the water flow. So no longer do you get a, a body of water and there's ice freezing on top of it. The ice starts forming down at the bottom and it, these ice crystals will be flowing along in the river and they'll catch on the rock or the stick or something. So it's this really strange thing where, where ice begins forming from the bottom up instead of the top down. Well, boy, does that ever do a job on your, your, your pipes and your diversion system. The screen here is all covered in, in ice crystals and it won't let any water in. And the water that does let, let in that's in liquid form is still super cooled. And so that comes into the pipe and it forms ice crystals and starts collecting on any little rough fissure. And so the, you know, the pipe chokes off. So first winter, we, we thought we'd never seen this before. We just were suddenly out of water. Uh, the next winter, we thought, oh, we're going to get some creative ways of, of getting around it. And two winters in a row, you know, our water freezes out. And so we ended up spending the winter uh, doing consulting uh, or doing work for our previous uh, employer in the lower mainland in the Vancouver area and uh, hoping that the septic lines wouldn't freeze. So the other challenges you have with water, uh, especially the gravity system, is the amount of sediment that's in there. This is uh, fine silt and we've been hoping to use a drip irrigation system and, and you find out that your drippers will plug with all this fine silt. And so you've got to set up filtration to, to get rid of that. This is a disc filter, which is a final filter and we, uh, to, to, to just offer protection. We did primary filtration with sand filters uh, and just adapted old pool sand filters to do it, which you need to do at 50 PSI or less, by the way, for these fiberglass type units. So you have to manage your, your pressure uh, on a gravity system and do a little reduction if you need to. Uh, you also have to get creative with how you're going to do childcare when you're working on a farm. So this is, uh, this is our babysitter. Uh, for the first first uh, little bit, this is our second daughter, Riella. Uh, and while we're trying to work and form beds in the in that initial hoop house and do some growing outside, uh, she had to uh, she had to entertain herself here. Uh, this is a, another greenhouse that we ended up setting up. So the first year we we were just kind of getting set up. We 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 grew a little bit in the the uh, the hoop house, and we did a little bit outside. Uh, and, and I think we may have started a farm box program uh, and used Farmigo to do it. The second year, we, we just expanded on that and tried to do more farm boxes. What we found out about farm boxes uh, was that there really is a small percentage of the population uh, in any locality that is going to be interested in, uh, in that kind of a subscription a service. So even though we were customizable, we, we didn't get much above 35 or 40 boxes a week in our local community. And we had just laid down the rule that we didn't want to travel. You know, it's four hours to Vancouver one way. We didn't want to spend a full day's worth of work each week driving to Vancouver and back. So we didn't offer our subscriptions out to, uh, out to the, the greater Vancouver area. Rather, we thought, let's figure out how to grow a little bit more product that's 
would be uh, consumed locally. And how do we do that? Well, we'd get it in the grocery store because that's where everybody else is going to get their produce. And certainly they would want ours if it was in there. So we started growing. This is probably year, uh, a transition between year two and year three, where we decided we're going to grow more produce and try to get it to two or three local grocery stores. Well, that was really quite fascinating. It, it, it was, again, quite a bit of work. Oh, we made some friends in the process. Uh, by the way, this is, this is Arisia. She is, uh, she's showing everybody her baby doll. Uh, this, is, this is her baby. It's a set of discs for, uh, for the disc screen. And uh, that was her main doll for the first uh, couple of years. And this is Riella, and this is her, her tutoy, I guess. And uh, these are some friends uh, who were, were neighbors and also they came to, to help us out. Alan and Donna, they still work for us. As a matter of fact, they were our, some of our first workers and uh, they're still with us. So that's been a fantastic uh, friendship and connection there. As we uh, rolled into um, life and started to grow more vegetables for the local stores, we found out some interesting things. The local stores want, uh, when you're, doing uh, bulk produce that has no name on it. So it's going to sit in your produce section of the grocery store, uh, just, just loose in the bin, you know, that gets the little sprayers and, you know, has a little price tag on the bottom, but it's not in a package and it's not labeled. When you do that, the um, local produce manager has a much higher expectation because now you're competing with California and you're competing with big uh, suppliers. So the, the, the forgiveness that your farm box customers gives you, if your carrot is a little crooked, uh, is not what the produce manager at the grocery store will give you. The buyer, if the buyer who walks in and eats the carrot and knows that it's at the local produce, the local grocery store, if they know it's yours, they will give you that same forgiveness but the produce buyer won't do it because they have some customers that will come into him and complain. And as soon as you do that, you get this phenomenon where, where in effect, unlabeled produce represents the produce manager. That's their reputation on the line. If they're a good produce manager, they will have nothing but top quality produce all over their shelves. And therefore you must meet sort of international grading standards. And, and we weren't expecting that. We were expecting a ton of support. Hey, we're local. Uh, we've got a, you know, we've got a tomato with a with a bit of a check mark on the top. It's local. You'll take it, right? And that was not the case. There was lots of verbal support, but when it came down to it, um, we were we were we found that the uh, the produce managers they were sticking their neck out, and they weren't willing quite to stick their neck out for us. So we were evolving now from uh, just a box program to a box program plus wholesale. And uh, this is more of a wholesale pictures. We, we played with uh, keyhole type designs in the greenhouse and we played with long rows and we played with a lot with the uh, succession planting and, and, and eventually, oh, I should just mention this little story, a bit of a diversion for you. Uh, a church member and an old friend of mine, he, uh, he told me about his childhood how he remembers in Saskatchewan going, being sent out to the root house to get potatoes. And he remembers getting potatoes out of the bin and he remembers putting them on his arm. And he said he'd stack them on his arm like, like firewood and he'd bring them out to 
he'd bring them out to the house like as if it was a bundle of firewood. I thought he was crazy. There's no way potatoes are going to get that big without having holes in them and, and just be awful. Well, I'll tell you, the first year we grew potatoes, we had cordwood potatoes. It was phenomenal. And so I took this picture to, uh, to share with him. It, it is possible. Not a single potato here had holes in it. I don't know how that happened. It was a, a variety called Shepardy, if anybody's interested in looking at that. Uh, but they, they did really well. So uh, more wholesale type produce. We're doing broccoli and kale and tomatoes and cherry tomatoes and, and potatoes and everything, onions, everything we could think of. And uh, we ended up not having sufficient sales. So in the process, by the way, of, of going to uh, the wholesale model, we thought, well, let's expand. Let's go from a, you know, a quarter acre, an acre and a half uh, of, from what we were leasing to get some more land. So we, we came up to another neighbor's field and we got another two acres uh, committed. And we started digging that up and, whoa, the rocks. Wow, this is, this is we got dump truck loads and dump truck loads of rocks out of this two acre section of field that were all picked by hand. And we certainly weren't expecting that because the lower field that we were in has, has basically no rocks at all. This was one of the hammers. It wasn't the biggest, by far not the biggest, but it was one that we just couldn't get out by hand. So we had some friends uh, uh, help us with that. We also uh, explored with uh, getting some, um, the, these are not workaways or woofers, but it's something like that. I guess we'll call them interns. Uh, friends, uh, now friends, uh, they were young girls from Austria who were wanting to have a farming experience and an international experience in Canada. And they came and worked on our farm. And there's another conversation to, to be had about the pros and cons of that, which I won't get into, but uh, we have great friendship uh, with them still. And uh, that was in 2015. And uh, over, the, over time, we, we started adding, uh, and actually from the beginning, we added uh, cut baby greens to our program uh, in the box program. And, and we were doing that a little bit with the grocery stores. And after having some difficulty with the grocery stores and the wholesale model and, and not really finding a way to get more volume in the box program, we thought, uh, well, this thing that seems to sell itself is the salad. All, all the grocery stores, they just love the salad. And uh, what I realize now, or what I realized back then, is one of the reasons they like the salad is because it has a label on it. It has a label on it. And so now if the customer is unhappy, guess who they're talking to? Are they going to go in and complain to the produce store manager? Or are they just going to go direct to the farmer? <laughs> they're, they're generally going to go right to the farmer. So now the produce store manager doesn't feel the heat. It actually takes the heat off of them. Putting a label on your product and putting it in a package means that produce stores or produce managers are more willing to take the risk of you because now they don't feel the heat if it doesn't look good. You do. So we found this to be fascinating. Uptake was great. Uh, the stores were loving it. And we thought, well, let's, let's see if we can get a little bit more into that. So um, we, uh, we did so, so we started, uh, um, doing a little bit more wholesale and, uh, we took the Johnny six row cedar, uh, and we took, uh, uh, the farmer's friend, uh, quick cut harvester. And we started, uh, doing hand harvest and hand wash of, um, of baby greens. And, uh, there's the, uh, quick cut harvester right there. And that's uh, kudos to Jonathan for getting that going. 
And these were some of our earliest helpers. Uh, now that we've uh, had three and uh, probably pregnant with a fourth at this time of this photo. But um, these are some of our earliest helpers. And this is some of the ways uh, we wash the produce. We just have a big tub and it goes through with some sanitizer. And, and these photos were taken um, when we were not going to be selling the produce, as you see the lack of a hairnet there. But um, you, you have a bunch of challenges when you're starting to do something and you scale up and you run into things that you don't expect. Oh boy, I've got, uh, let's see, I'm a half hour in and we're supposed to end at 10.15, is that right? Correct. Okay, I think I'm okay. So these are some of our earlier helpers, uh, but you run into a number of challenges. In Lillooet, uh, it'll hit 105 degrees in the summer. So how do you, where do you wash your greens so that it's considered food safe? Uh, you need a food safe certification now uh, in order to go wholesale to larger stores and that certification requires uh, certain things be in place. And uh, one of them is, is the requirement to be you know, indoors and to have a, a, one of the most complex things has actually been maintaining water potability and uh, the definitions of potability over, over the time because you're, you know, all plant matter has, uh, has organisms on it and you have to have a negative reading for all organisms, uh, all living organisms to be, maintain potability. And uh, that's been a real challenge. Uh, some of the other challenges have been uh, how to, uh, now I'll go back to the water for just a moment. I didn't put the picture in here, but in the springtime, uh, we always get runoff and runoff uh, stirs up quite a bit of sediment in the mountains. And so the, the water will be coming off with some turbidity in it right out of the creek. And that turbidity is, you're unable to make that potable. So there's a period of time of a month or more where I need a completely different source of water because the sediment is so fine, I can't filter it out unless I go down to a one micron filter and the volumes of water I use are just uh, beyond what it would, uh, you know, I just need to use too many filters. So I had to go set up another water source from a, from a spring in order to get us through that, that time frame. Um, you know, some of the other challenges are when it's 105 outside and you've got workers inside a greenhouse, how do you keep them cool? And um, how do you keep the produce cool and so on. So over time, we, we sort of figured out, we figured out uh, many of these things. We put shade uh, silage plastic on the structures to keep the sun out. And we set up pad coolers and we started pouring concrete and we've got in, uh, we got in a big shipping container to be a, a, a reefer shipping container to be our finished cooler. We got uh, a small cooler to do our raw material cooling and, and we were expanding and, and things uh, were working nicely. Um, so this is a, a picture after a few years from the lower end, you can see our, our home. Uh, we actually moved out of this home. We moved into another home on the property because this became too small for our growing family and, and uh, another area of the property, which actually had the old original farmhouse on it. The tenants there left in 2016. So, so we took it on and boy, has that been another interesting story that the home was, the home was a, a place that had been cobbled together over the years. The first night we slept in there, the wind blew our hair. The windows were all closed, uh, but the wind just came through the walls and I could feel my hair blowing as I slept. And that first winter, you know, when you get down to, to well, well below uh, the zero Fahrenheit, it, it was a real challenge to keep heat in the house because it was just all the heat was just leaking out of the place. Um, and so there's, there is a whole lot of work and still is, as a matter of fact, uh, here in this house, which I, I, you're not seeing because you're only looking at the nice grass background, but I, I'm in there today. We don't actually have a wall 
that's uh, big enough to make a nice background for you. So uh, I've, I've given you grass instead. But um, there, there's a lot of work that's involved in, in getting an old, outdated home up to the point where it's not going to be leaking and it has stable water and the electrical is uh, is got enough outlets and, and all of the things that are we expect with our modern conveniences. So we're no longer living in this trailer and we're living elsewhere. You can see here, this is before I expanded uh, uh, the building up over this uh, reefer container, um, but that came too. We, we expanded the building uh, further and got more concrete and uh, eventually we, we just couldn't work with the, uh, the quick cut harvester anymore. It was too much of a back strain. So harvesting a few hundred pounds of greens a day uh, became difficult. So we purchased uh, a commercial harvester, which is a band, uh, continuous band system with a conveyor belt. And we purchased a cedar, which I, I don't have a picture for you in here, but we purchased a, a cedar. So I'm no longer seeding manually. And um, things uh, start getting busy. And we find that um, some of the challenges here in this program, uh, oh, by the way, this is our, one of our first uh, fuller, cooler days. So we end up getting to the point where we're shipping, um, let's see, we're shipping Canadian dollars. Uh, we're shipping thirty to $40,000 of, of salad greens a week. And uh, we can do that for 20 to 24 weeks uh, in a season, as long as everything goes well. And, and things are clipping along uh, nicely. There are some real complications with that though. And some of the complications are, because Kimberly and I are both so willing to work, uh, when, you're, when you're working with greens, uh, it's very intensive. We're, we're, we're planting a minimum of twice a week and we're harvesting five days a week. And so we're packing and harvesting five days and, and there's a lot to manage. There's, there's quite a few employees. We have 15 employees involved in the operation. And um, you're, you, you end up spending a lot of time solving growing challenges, which there are many, uh, solving irrigation challenges, solving uh, designing or manufacturing, in some cases, your own equipment uh, to, to do things. Meanwhile, by the way, I, I have a, the garlic still growing. Uh, you know, we do a couple of acres of garlic and, and still figuring out how to automate that because growing a couple of acres of garlic is different than growing, say, five to 10,000 plants um, and, and figuring out how to bring automation and mechanization into this such that uh, it's, it's manageable without killing ourselves and killing our employees. And sometimes you just can't ask employees to do certain tasks so it's easier to mechanize it. So during all of this, it's, it's, it's just very intense and we've got growing children. And so Kimberly's uh, wanting, we're wanting to homeschool and that is a full-time job as uh, some of you may have experienced. Uh, homeschooling for kids is, is not something you can do off the side of your desk, but our operation, the way we had set it up and with the employees we had, we couldn't, we found we couldn't offload easily the administrative tasks. So that's order management, um, production planning and scheduling, you know, you have to go out and figure out what, what crop is going to be coming off in the next couple of days and how do we mix it in at the right blend ratio, making sure that it's at the right time to meet our order projections, which are not accurate until the day before we harvest. And there's a lot of juggling and moving parts that come to this. And Kimberly's just a natural at it. She's brilliant. So, so she ends up getting involved in a lot of that. And I'm out in the field telling her, um, you know, giving her feedback from, for what I expect to be uh, coming down the line. And we find that at the end of it all, um, 
there's there's just a lot of time that is required to to keep this little business running. Uh, incidentally, uh, so we're up to about eight acres, by the way, uh, eight maybe ten acres of salad greens. And this year, some of you might have heard uh, of the heat dome that uh, came to British Columbia and the uh, the forest fires that burnt uh, completely consumed. Well, not completely, but close to completely consumed uh, our little neighbor town of Lytton. Have any of you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So we we saw uh, we saw 120 degrees, so 50 degrees Celsius, uh, one day, and we saw 48, 49, and 47 in respective days. We had a week of incredible heat this summer, and uh, as you know, I I plant every few days, so. We had crops at multiple stages in the ground, some at harvest stage, some just coming up, some you know in the germination stage and some at seeding and, and, and at different spots. I was amazed to see that even in wet soil, now we have a light sandy soil here, so maybe it would be different somewhere else, but even in wet soil, the temperatures got to the point where the seeds that had had cotyledons emerging, so they were already sprouting, uh, they, they died. In wet soil, the seed effectively cooked and rotted away. So we lost those crops. The crops that were above ground, we lost. And basically we lost everything during that week. And then of course there's evacuations due to forest fires. And so we had to, everybody, all the employees are gone and we're off the property and complications related to that. So this week, uh, this year, we lost six weeks because we had crop that was ready to harvest and all the way back to basically everything that had been seeded. And that's about four weeks it takes from seed to, to harvest. Um, we lost all those four weeks. Plus it took an extra couple of two weeks to deal with the weeds that grew while we were on evacuation. So we lost about six weeks of sales this year. And that's been really, uh, that's, that's made this year in particular challenging. Um, there's uh, just another shot of it. So, we're up to four kids now, and uh, there's our there's our fourth when uh, a few years ago, just after she was first born, and uh, we're we're in a semi-automated place this year. Incidentally, by the way, the garlic did did better, so that was a nice offset uh, for for the for the salad. Uh, there's one of the larger uh, larger bulbs. I think that's three and a quarter inch, uh, but we tend to grow a smaller garlic here, so we can put it in in bunches. But uh, the real question is. Um, how, how are we doing? How, how are we doing with our report cards? We go back to those three things that we were looking to change or we were not uh, our pre-farming life. <clears throat> we had too little family time, we had too little community connection, and we were just working to make a living, not contributing significantly to the kingdom of heaven. So, oh, here we go. Well, my little visual is in the way there. So how are we doing with family time? I have to be honest with you, farming, did not contribute to family time. I went from leaving just before, just after the kids woke up to leaving the house at 4.30 in the morning. And I, instead of coming back just around supper time, I was coming back for supper, leaving again, particularly in the growing season, leaving again, and I'd come home at dark. And up here uh, in the north in the summer, dark is 11 p.m. So, uh, and then there's another couple of hours of administrative work. So I, I'm going to bed at midnight to one, and I'm waking up at 4 to 4.30 and getting out. 
And this is what it's taking to get our farm to be where it needs to go. So how did we do uh, for the first several years to on, on getting more family time? We, we didn't do well. So there's an X there. Um, too little community connection. Let's see if we can, there we go. Too little community connection. Uh, well, that was solved. We had people dropping in all the time. People were so excited by what we're doing from the beginning. So people would just drop in and chat. And that is just, that is just so neat. It shows to the, you know, the choice of the community that we live in, uh, as well as just to that connection people naturally feel with farmers. So that's excellent. The challenge with it is that it gets, puts another X up here by, by number one, because those people come at the randomest times and it ends up soaking up time that you might've put into getting your work done, which means that you end up having to work later or get up earlier in order to compensate for that. Or it might, they might come when you're having you know, family worship and whatnot. So it ends up eating away at number one. So uh, for us, it did. And then uh, on the number three, just working to make a living, not contributing significantly to the kingdom of heaven. How did it do? Well, it, it did good because we are contributing, you know, we're more active in our church. Uh, and, and we have more community connections and relationships there, but it still feels like we're spending all of our energy into the, the farming business. And so that's, that's been a real uh, challenge. So that's a, that's a, gets a check mark, but it also gets an X. So the, the funny thing is, as Kim and I have talked about this, you know, we still wouldn't have changed a thing. There's X's on the report card, but we still wouldn't change a thing because the path we've taken has gotten us to where we are today. And who knows whether that was good or bad. It's like the, the, you know, the old story about the, the man who uh, you know, had, a, had a horse show up and everybody, all the neighbors said, oh, that's such a good thing. And he says, well, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And then the son is out riding the horse and the horse breaks his leg and everybody said, that's a bad thing that that horse showed up. And he said, well, I don't know. And then there's an army, there's a war that comes up into the country. And because the son has a broken leg, he misses the draft. And so everybody says, oh, hey, that's a great thing. That horse came to you. And everybody's back and forth. And the farmer's like, well, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. So we're at a stage where, where we can't say whether uh, we would actually have changed anything. We're, we're quite happy with the process the Lord has, has brought us through. We are, we are um, satisfied with it and we don't know whether there's any important part that we really would have missed out on had uh, we changed anything. So uh, yet we wanna give an honest report of about what advice would we give for our younger selves? And this is probably the most significant piece of advice we would give, and it's walk, don't run. Kimberly and I are, are, are two feet, you know, jump in with both feet kind of people. And um, I, like I say, my gambling is uh, all done on the farm every year. So who needs, uh, who needs to go to the, to the casino when I can do it right out there in the field? So I, I tend to be a, personally a large risk taker. And we also tend to be uh, people who are overcommitted. So when we look at these challenges and the report card, even, you know, what was, what did I not like about the pre-farming life? Some of the results are similar in our farming life. And what that really says is that those results have to do with who we are as people. And, and that's what we need to, to reflect on. So, so this advice is not advice for everybody. This advice is for our younger selves. This may not apply to you, it might, but for us, we really should have walked and not run. We should have uh, leaned into the farm a little bit more gently, making sure that along the way we were keeping 
our priorities straight. Because in the end, there's going to be challenges with farming, particularly if you're trying to do it as a full income. And that's some people might be here for different reasons. Uh, maybe you're looking at it as a career, but maybe you're looking at it just as I'd like to, you know, have a large garden and maybe sell some produce on the side. And that's good. That's probably what we should have done in the beginning is just come up, had a little garden, just tried it out, tested the waters a little bit more and not jumped in so fully with both feet because it caused, it triggered a domino effect of commitments that, uh, that we uh, really had to follow through on. And it's, it's been, it's been a lot of work. So life after all is a marathon. He who endures to the end shall be saved. So it's about endurance. It's not about immediate speed. So we should have walked and not run. We shouldn't have slacked on our administrative tasks and financial reviews. That's another piece, but uh, we really should have been uh, more up to uh, more on the ball with our own uh, internal reporting and evaluations, because that would have helped us plan a little bit better. Uh, keeping the main thing, the main thing. We didn't set out uh, early in 2012 to be farmers. We set out to be family folk. We set out to live in a country, to have time for our family and to have time for ministry. Farming was a means to the end. It is not the goal. And yet sometimes when you're down in the thick of it, you can forget that. And, and I think I would say that we, we uh, at times we um, allowed that to be our main driver and that was not right. We should have kept the main thing, the main thing, which is uh, our earlier priorities of family. And they're really about relationship, relationship with God, relationship with each other and relationship with our neighbors. We also would have taken, uh, we also would have taken Christ's advice of taking no thought for tomorrow, really tomorrow's pressures. And, and what ends up happening with tomorrow is, Kimberly and I are folks that uh, really like to um, really like to contribute to different things. So we end up taking on more responsibilities than probably we should. And uh, then uh, there's expectations that come. Everybody has them in their life uh, from other people, from church, from family, from friends, uh, from visitations or other social connections. Uh, there's these expectations that end up coming into your schedule and you try to fit them all in as much as you can. And um, sometimes that gets complicated. So we probably would have uh, taken no thought for tomorrow's expectations. Uh, if we had done that, we would have done better. That's tomorrow's pressures and we would have enjoyed our family today. So in the end, it's all about relationships and uh, prioritizing relationships uh, would have been far more important to us and being able to figure out how to schedule our lives and agree to certain commitments and stage gate the commitments and the amount of workload that was needed to be done, to being able to do that in order to prioritize relationships would have been much better for us. So with that, uh, I should just uh, see if anybody has any questions. I have a question. Um, looking forward now, um, what are some changes that you're looking to do to try to, like you were saying, uh, make those priorities more important? Do you have any plans for this upcoming season on a small shifts, maybe that you're thinking about making to make that more of a reality? Um, so this season for us is, um, this season for us is we're still working on the plans for the season. We, it's, it's hinges for us on, a, uh, it hinges for us on who we can get to join the team. 
because uh, we have we have basically drawn a line in the sand and said if we have to have a farm that requires Kimberly to work on it, we will not go with that model. She she is the anchor of our home, so her having her stress uh, and her obligations to the point where where she's feeling like she can't you know she has to cut corners on on kids classes and and cut corners here and there in order to make sure that the order gets out tomorrow it's just too much it affects uh, our home and it affects the kids and it affects me it affects us all so so that's a line in the sand that is if we can't find a way out of that then frankly uh we're going to have to make a major pivot and finding a way out of that is dependent on uh bringing onto our team people who can do what kimberly does which is the administrative uh side of things Yes, sir. Yeah. You first started out meditating. You did not own the land. How did you raise capital for the greenhouses, the farm equipment, etc.? Yeah. So thank you, sir. I didn't address that. Every every winter, and and even sometimes during the season, I've continued to do consulting for my previous employer. As a matter of fact, over 2021 growing year, uh, what we wanted to do in 2021 season was have the farm basically run by itself. And so we had a grower, uh, we had a, a growers set up, but we're, we're a small uh, community up here. And so who you can get as employees, usually people who are highly skilled and highly employable in, in Lillooet, they're already employed. So um, we wanted to have a, a, a crop manager or a grower, and we wanted to have a production manager who would also manage the administrative side of things. And um, that was the plan. That that ended up getting complicated because our grower, who we've been training for the last five years, decided to take the entire summer off and uh, go on vacation and go do a tour. They're the individuals doing some exploration in their own life, not sure they want to remain in Lillooet, so they're checking out some other communities and so on. And uh, the administrative tasks are just at a layer of complexity that we didn't realize uh, not everybody is going to be having natural uptake to. So, so I was able to uh, spend much, much less time on the farm this year because of the training we put into other folks, but it still consumed a lot of Kimberly's time. And my time is then spent uh, doing um, work as a consultant uh, still for the food industry. And uh, that's what raises the capital. So uh, in order to, uh, it, what, what do they say? Every farmer says, not every farmer says, but there's that old little cartoon where there's a man driving a tractor and he's leaning over the, another farmer's leaning over the fence and the one fellow's got straw in his mouth and he says, you know, if I had a million dollars, I'd keep farming till it was all gone. That, that's sort of how we feel sometimes because we, we generate income on the, on the consulting side and uh, it goes into the capital investments of our farm. Uh, the farm also pays for many of its own capital investments. So Technically speaking, it could have paid us uh, an income, but we've reinvested that all into the farm because we didn't need it. Other questions? Uh, how, how much acreage would you have started off with if you, if you did it all over? Did you hear that? So if we were to do it all over again, right from the start, knowing what we know about the intensity of the salad business, um, what I would what I would be doing is I'd be trying to target something that had uh, shelf life. So, you but from the time you cut your salad greens until the time you sell them, you've got three days. Even at even at a zero, you know, even at the freezing point where you're storing them, and even with good shelf life, you got sort of three days. 
We get 14 days, uh, up to 18 days shelf life, by the way, on our greens because of the way we, the method we've found to, to, to wash them. Um, and that's excellent. That's, that's almost unheard of. Even in the industry, you'll find that in, um, you know, your earthbound organics and, and, and other type organic greens, uh, they're often, uh, expiring before their, their date, they get 13 days as far as I, I know from stuff I've read. So, so we get a good shelf life, but it's still not enough. And it just makes the intensity of the, the, the farming business be too great. So I, had I done this all over again, I would have walked, not run. And therefore, I think I would have paused and found something that fit my lifestyle, which would have been look for a storage crop, try it in, in small volumes, test the market, see what the interest is in. And then as I developed that, I probably would have um, gone with a larger acreage of a single crop or a few crops um, at larger volumes. And then just taking that money that I've invested in all this other infrastructure, and I probably would have done crop specific infrastructure rather than a more general infrastructure like the buildings and so on. Did that answer that question? So small acreage, it would have started with small acreage, but it would have actually headed up to a, to a larger acreage on a single crop. Thank you. Yes. <coughs> I saw a hand there. I noticed um, in your picture, it looks like you have a, a young team, or are they older now? Are all of these older? Uh, 11, turning 12. So is that, is that a, um, so that, that sounds like a personal commitment that you have to make sure that your wife is not stressed with administrative stuff. Is it possible, uh, depending on the age, or like, let's say the wife does enjoy the administrative things and they can actually include their kids into it and uh, like, what, what do you think? The, what's the reality or is that really absolutely. Uh, totally totally realistic yes absolutely so as as Arisia gets older Arisia Arisia's skill set and interest all of the children want to help they like helping uh you know as their skills are able to but their endurance isn't there as they get bigger it's getting more so Arisia is able to contribute to more she can actually start writing out some of the reports or filling in some of the reports and the planning and so on and that that does help manage it. If this was, um, you know, certainly if we were three to four years down the road, uh, I wouldn't be needing to lean so heavily on an outside administrator. I would be able to do that with uh, with my own uh, farm family firm employees. Mm -hmm. We got we have time for one more question. Yes. One more question, anybody? I guess you've satisfied everybody's questions. So um, you want to close with prayer for us? Yeah, let's do that. Father in heaven, uh, thank you very much for uh, for life. And uh, we're all planning every day where we're going to put our steps, our foot, our feet tomorrow. So oh Lord, uh, guide our steps, we pray, for we can make plans. But you, you are the one who direct the steps. Thank you. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com.
www.thepeopleofgod.org.